Customer advocacy platform MentionMe recently hosted Advocacy Engineered, the world's leading event on the power of customer advocacy. More than 200 senior marketers from brands including Puma, Deliveroo, Charlotte Tilbury, Marks & Spencer, John Lewis, Farfetch and other big names joined us in London to hear from industry experts on how to drive sustainable business growth in the tough times ahead. This podcast series presents the live recordings of each of our speakers on the day. The one you're about to listen to comes from CEO and co-founder at Mention Me, Andy Coburn, on how to think advocacy first and become a winning business. It is just wonderful to be back. It is three years since we've hosted an event like this, and it is, it's amazing to feel the energy in the room. In this slightly over full room, apologies to everyone at the back. It's fabulous to be meeting so many of you for the first time. It's wonderful to be seeing so many of you for the first time in three years. I can't believe it has been that long. And what I'm loving most is actually just chatting to people in between the speeches. And I uh, had a great chat with Ben Farron this morning. Ben Farron is the um, CEO of Spoke. If you don't know Spoke, they do great menswear. In fact, these are Spoke trousers, um, and they are, they are fabulous. This is your first referral of the day on stage. But I was asking Ben, like, um, how's it been for the last few years? And he talked about the highs and lows of COVID and how high the highs were and how low the lows were. And, you know, I think we've all been through a bit of that. But he was also to sh- able to share how well they are doing now as a business. And they are flying coming out of COVID. And that is just fantastic. And then I asked, you know, why are you here today? You're clearly very busy growing this fantastically um, successful business. And he said, well, because we've got huge growth targets for this business. And it is really clear that there are some big economic headwinds coming our way. And quite frankly, advocacy has to be at the heart of everything that we are doing. And I think that's probably why we are all here today. We recognize the value of advocacy. We know that getting your customers to go out and spread the word to do your marketing for you fundamentally changes a business. But it is so much harder than it sounds. And trying to figure out how to solve for advocacy is something that we all need to figure out to to take on the coming years. And it all starts with customer love. Fred talked to this. He paints a great picture. You know, happier customers spend more with you. They bring in your next customers for free. When you get that right, your teams feel incredibly motivated about delivering on it. And deep in our hearts, we all know what that feels like. When you do the right thing for your customer, and when you actually manage to enrich your customers' lives, it feels amazing. And it's no surprise that that results in the amazing returns that Fred talked to in his Fred C. And ultimately, it is the nirvana of business. But it's not just about solving for the nirvana. It's also about solving for the reality of what we're going to face in the next couple of years. It's not just about the upside. It's about avoiding the downsides. Over the next few years, as we go into this uh, economic mess, there will be winners and losers. And being on the losing side could well be a, a question of survival. And so if you want to be on the right side of the next few years, the best place to start is by putting customer love at the heart of your thinking. And that all sounds pretty obvious, you know, customer love is a very easy phrase to say, but why are we not doing that today? Well, there's a few reasons. First off, short-termism. We all run our lives at pace. We all run our businesses at pace. We look to test things very quickly, to validate things very quickly. But sometimes customer love can take a little bit of time. It can take time to build up that sense of emotion. It can take even more time to prove it. And sometimes we just don't have the patience for it. There's also investor pressure. Investor pressure, 
perhaps often isn't actually really investor pressure. It is perceived investor pressure. Most of us in this room have investors, whether it is VCs, private equity, public markets, or even a family. And we feel the pressure to deliver for those investors on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. The greatest irony here is that those investors don't really care as much about the quarterly results as we all think they do. Like we've gone through the journey and mentioned me of bootstrapping the business for four or five years initially and then bringing on two fabulous investors in Eight Roads and Octopus more recently. And I've had the conversations with them. They don't care about the quarterly numbers per se. They care about the value of the business in two, three, four years time. So we need to solve for that. It's just that the only way we have of knowing whether we're on track is those, are those quarterly numbers. And that is fundamentally wrong. And then finally, there's the status quo. We, especially in marketing, we are dealing with a status quo where we are very dependent on a few channels for online marketing, particularly Google and Facebook. We become very, very um, focused on where we are spending the most money. And it might be that we are actually spending most of our time focusing on a game that we can never really win. We're trying to optimize the tactics rather than thinking about should we be changing the game that we are playing. So we need to get out of our own way when we are thinking about how to solve for customer love. And why do we need to change? Well, because marketing isn't as attractive as it was, especially in the online world. I would actually go as far as saying is it doesn't really work today. 64% of online ad spend goes on Google, Facebook, or Amazon in the US today. What felt like white knights 10 years ago are no longer really our friends. Over the last few years, we've seen the customer acquisition costs rocket and be incredibly unpredictable. The customer advocacy gap report that Sophia talked to showed how 66% of businesses are focusing most on spend in uh, social media, yet customers just do not trust the messages that are coming through on those adverts on the social networks. And so relying on these channels has huge risks, as the last three years have shown. If you look at Facebook over the last few years, even in the run-up to COVID, 60% uh, increase in CAC in the five years up to COVID. Then we had COVID. We all lived through those crazy fluctuations over the couple of years. And then on the back of the iOS challenge changes, a 47% increase in CAC. That was a number that Facebook themselves reported in Q3 21 compared to Q3 20. This is crazy. If you look at actually what happened from a chart perspective, and this is on a CPM basis, running up to COVID in the two years beforehand, that was a 25% increase in CAC on Facebook up to COVID. You then had the great pause where supply chains were interrupted, everyone waited to see what's happening, and then costs absolutely rocketed, more than 200%. If you're trying to run a business, as many of you have experienced, this is a nightmare. You cannot match supply to demand like this. This is going to curtail your growth. Um, and you cannot base your economics on channels that are this unreliable. Google also has had its challenges. It was a bit more predictable in the run-up to COVID, only up 6% up to 2019. But over COVID, up 26%, and in the, year, in the last year, up 18%. That may feel you know, not as bad as Facebook. But again, these are huge um, increases in cost that you are not going to be able to pass on to your customers. So this is hurting your core economics. So there is going to be a big shift in marketing. Google and Facebook will be on the wane, and thriving businesses will become less dependent on them. I was talking to one business last week who said, at the beginning of COVID, they were getting 20% of their new customers from Facebook. They're now getting 2% of their new customers from Facebook because they refuse to pay the increase in customer, increase in customer acquisition costs. But how do you wean yourself off Google and Facebook? I'm not saying you're going to get there completely, but how do you make yourself less dependent? 
Well, rather than trying to win a losing game, you need to change the game that you're playing. And when you think about that, it's always good to go back to the fundamentals, back to the basics. The, the formula for winning online is very simple. Needs to make more money from customers and spend less money acquiring them. You do that, you grow faster at the expense of your competitors. Incredibly simple. And one of the joys of the online world, it is, it is captured in the metric that we all know, LTV to CAC. Lifetime value to customer acquisition cost. Why is this so powerful? Because when you get this right, you beat your competitors. You have more cash to spend on improving the customer experience, on acquiring additional customers. This is how winners and losers are decided. Now, metrics can feel short-termist, but this is not a short-term short -term metric. Because to win on LTV to CAC over the long term requires being rooted in behaviors that drive customer love and advocacy. Now, we've been through a very interesting last 20 years. Brian talked about it up front. When you look at what has happened from an LTV to CAC perspective, we have really matured over the last 20 years. At different points on this journey, you could win versus your competitors just by adopting new technologies. In the early days, if you adopted SEO or paid search or paid social and you were ahead of your competitors, you could build a whole business on the back of that. Then it became about conversion rate optimization. If you could build a web website that converted customers better than your competitors, you could win. But now we have the big platforms that um, effectively make it that all very easy to set up, but also make all sites much more similar. So Shopify, BigCommerce, SAP, Salesforce makes for a much more homogenous experience online. And more recently, we've been seeing that Amazon catch up, getting that convenience um, closer to the Amazon experience with things like ShopPay from Shopify and Klarna, where you get a much closer experience where it remembers your data and where it uh, tells you how your deliveries are going, it lets you pay later. So the, it is much, much harder to win by adopting tools these days. And on the LTV side, the early days, it was just how do you calculate it? That, the winners were those who really understood the value of LTV. Then it became about retention and upsell, primarily through CRM. Then it was about understanding the single customer view. And now people are talking about loyalty and CX. We are now at a stage of maturity where there are no silver bullets to solve LTV to CAC, where you can adopt the newest technology and be ahead of your peers, because everyone is adopting everything so quickly. Now, there will be new things that come up. And in LTV to CAC, the trends that I see at the moment are on the LTV side, it is about AI-powered optimization based on propensity modeling, basically looking to understand the intent of your customers so you can serve them the right thing. And on the customer acquisition side, it's about um, optimization harnessing first-party data. We're seeing the death of the cookie, the death of third-party data. But both of these things really come down to how do you solve for building long-term relationships with your customers? Effectively, how do you build customer love? The only reason for building a customer profile or for understanding their intent is so that you can delight them. And so the way to solve for LTV to CAC is to solve for customer love and advocacy. But we said up front that you know, there are good reasons why people aren't doing this today. Uh, the short-termism, the investor pressure, the um, addiction to the status quo. So you need to figure out how you can escape uh, those things in order to go after it. So effectively, you need a North Star that you can go after. That North Star is critical. So you need to communicate to your teams, to your boards, to your investors that you are looking to solve for customer love and advocacy. And then you need a compass to get there. And that compass charts the course and tells you how to get to the North Star. It also tells you where you are in the journey. And that comes in the form of metrics. 
This lets you fight the short-termism, carry the investors with you, and change the, the fixation from the status quo so that you have bigger and bolder ambitions for how you drive your business. So if the North Star is about driving um, customer love to allow you to grow from advocacy, what are the right metrics? Well, it's helpful to have two, one at a company level so you can see how you're doing as a whole business, and one at customer level so you can solve for different customer cohorts. The best metric we've found on a company level is what Fred was talking about, earned growth. Now, earned growth effectively is, there's two sides to it. There's net revenue retention, which is how much money are you getting from customers today who were your customers a year ago. It accounts for churn and it accounts how much more they are buying from you. And then earns new customers or effectively referrals is how many customers are they bringing in. When you put those two things together, you get a sense for how fast you will grow without spending a penny on marketing. Effectively, it is what is your organic growth in your business. And that is a really, really important number. And one way to think about earned growth is as a bridge, a bridge between customer love and LTV to CAC. Customer love drives you to focus on the right thing. Earned growth measures whether you are being successful in doing the right thing and being rewarded with organic growth. And then you see the impact on LTV to CAC. You see that LTV to CAC transformed. And it's, it's really clear why earned growth is so powerful when it comes to LTV to CAC. Because one of the ambitions, the starting ambitions with earned growth, is get your net revenue retention up. When you do that, that very clearly correlates with increasing your lifetime value. Increasing customer love so they spend more with you. Getting more high lifetime value customers uh, means you have more customers who love you, who, which means more customers who will refer. More referrals means that you are reducing your customer acquisition costs because referrals are cheaper than any other channel, so your blended cost comes down. And bringing your cap down and more referrals in means that you have more referred customers, and referred customers spend more with you. They come in predisposed to liking and trusting you, and they will spend more with you, so you drive your net revenue retention up. Really clearly, this is a virtuous circle. When you start on this, this is how you transform LTV to CAC by focusing on earned growth. Now, I've waxed lyrical about the importance of LTV to CAC, but it is not perfect. And earned growth is a really helpful view that points out some of its flaws. Now, this is a standard perspective on LTV to CAC. An LTV to CAC of three is healthy, so in this business, it's costing 100 to acquire a customer, and the lifetime value is 300. That is a good place to be. If you only have this number, you think this is a good business. But actually, if you break it out into earned and paid customers, when you look at earned, i.e. business uh, customers who are coming in on the back of referrals, the customer acquisition cost is 25. The lifetime value is 600. There's an LTV to CAC of 24. In the same, in the same company, you may well have a very different view when it comes to paid. It may be costing actually 300 to acquire a customer. The LTV is only 150, and so you've got an LTV to CAC of 0.5, which actually means you're losing money on every single customer. Now, this could be happening in your business. It is really, really hard to break these out. But the first view that will give you a sense as to whether you are struggling with this is earned growth. So we talked about two metrics, one at a company level. The one at a customer level, the best that we have found is ELTV, or extended lifetime value. That is the lifetime value of your customers, how much margin they will bring in over time, plus the value of referrals that those customers bring in. And what happens if you take this view? Well, let's look at an example from Huel. 
So Huel are a fabulous business that do nutritionally complete sustainable foods. We've been working with them for the last five years. They are very good in lots that they do. Let's take an example of Chris, who is one of their customers. Chris um, uh, has been a customer for a while, but he buys one bag of Huel per quarter. He happens to work in a hybrid workplace, so he only has it on the days he works, and therefore he's only buying one quarter, whereas many customers would buy one a month. As such, he's a lower quarter LTV customer, bottom 25%. Huel might think, thanks a lot, Chris. Great to have you, but I'm not going to spend much time um, focusing on you as a customer. But actually, there is a different view of Chris. And in this view, Chris has friends. And these, this is a real example with real data. Chris referred seven friends. And actually, those seven friends went on to refer another four friends. When you look at Chris from this perspective, he is a slightly more attractive customer than he looks. But he's still there sitting in that LTV model in the bottom 25%. When you look at the maths of this, Chris is bringing in 100 pounds or 200 pounds of revenue per year. His friends' uh, referrals are bringing in 2,000 pounds per year. Their friends are bringing in 1,000 pounds per year. So actually, Chris is responsible for 3,200 pounds per year. If you put that into LTV perspective, he's worth 1,000 um, pounds from an LTV perspective on his own. But with his referrals, he's worth 12,000 pounds, 12x when you take an extended lifetime value perspective. And that matters because he's not in the bottom 25%. He is in the top 2% of customers. The red carpet should be being rolled out for him. He should be in the VIP club. He should be getting early access to sales, early access to new products. He should be being invited to events. These are the customers that you should be um, getting as excited as possible about your brand. So you need to understand ELTV to understand who your best customers are so that you can make different decisions and start to optimize for advocacy. Another business um, that does this very well is Sculpt. And in fact, Sculpt was founded by Giles Harrison, who I can see in the audience today. Giles was our former strategy director who set up Sculpt at the beginning of lockdown. They do um, pottery kits for adults, for the uninitiated, for people like me, and did amazingly during lockdown. And I'm delighted to say I'm now absolutely storming it and taking the US uh, by storm. And Sculpt, um, not surprisingly, he is very well worked very well versed in the world of referrals, and he takes that ELTV view. And when you look at the top 50 most valuable customers on Sculpt from an ELTV perspective, this is what you see. And there are two interesting things in this chart. One is it's a different 50 customers. If you were just looking at LTV, you would be looking at 50 different customers. So unless you take this view, you're not focusing on your most valuable customers. And two, 25% of uh, the value of these customers is coming from referrals. So if you're not that pulling that data in, you are missing a very big part of the story. And when you start to use earned growth and ELTV to optimize LTV to CAC, you start to see some really good things. You're seeing referral bringing in higher LTV customers. You, see you start to understand the true value of a customer. You manage to then get the data in the right places to give those customers the right red carpet experience. You're also able to use referral data to, talk, to identify high LTV customers early so that you can give them the best possible experience. More referrals results in a higher earned growth rate, which results in a lower weighted customer acquisition costs. And then you can also use referral data to reduce customer acquisition costs in other marketing channels. And we will talk much more about that later. So ultimately, advocacy drives a sustainable advantage in your core economics against your competitors. And I mentioned me, this is where we want to help you win in the years ahead.
Now, we are all coming from different points on the starting grid on this one. We are in the privileged position of working with some brands who have been thinking like this for a very long time. And you see that not only in the results of their referral program, but how they talk about the business. But no matter where you are on the starting grid on this, we can help you accelerate through the pack. Some of the data we see, we mentioned we have a lot of data. We're very privileged to do that. We see some really interesting stuff in terms of variation of performance. And some of it you expect. If you look at referral performance varying by country, and I know there was a, a question on this earlier, you see very, very different uh, performances depending on market. And who knew that Korea were the biggest referrers, or Koreans were the biggest referrers in the world? Similarly, when you look at it by sector, you see very big variation in performance. The top three performing sectors that we work with are gyms, supplements, and insurance. Who knew that insurance was so sexy? But actually, it's because we work with a number of brands who are disruptors, and they're disrupting the space by putting customer love at the heart of what they're doing and looking to solve some of the challenges that industry has faced. But when, when you take this view, you kind of expect that level of difference. What we find, though, often is businesses think, well, within a given sector, it must be pretty similar. How does referral work for men's clothing? How does referral work for pet food? The answer is, it's all very different. And to bring that to life, there's, this is a great example with real data of four brands. These are four high street brands um, who all sell footwear. You will know all of them. If you've been down the high streets of the UK, you will have seen all of these. And if you're not customers of them, you'll probably think they are pretty similar. But when you look at the referral data, there is an eight times difference in terms of how they perform. Eight times. Now, all of these businesses have been looking to optimize referral, and it may well be that Brand A has put a bit more energy and a bit more gusto uh, into doing that. And that drives some of the difference. But the reality is what, is, what is driving this business is every interaction that a customer has with those brands. And so that is what referral looks like in terms of data. Now, we also have the pleasure of working with many brands who see referral data, and we have the conversations to understand how they think about the world. One of the brands that does this phenomenally well is Matches Fashion. I was talking to Nicholas Pickart, who was uh, the e-commerce director for the, most of the last 10 years at Matches Fashion, and he described the way they think about it is, we've, always, uh, we've fundamentally always been a word-of-mouth business. We focus on the details and do everything right, and that drives word-of-mouth. Matches Fashion went from three stores to uh, selling to Apex for more than a billion pounds in less than a decade. Phenomenal, phenomenal growth, all because they took this approach. And actually, the, another anecdote from Matches was Tom, the CEO and founder, was still checking every single customer email that went out to a customer until they sold to Apex for, um, for over a billion pounds. Now, you might think that's slightly nuts. That's a level, of, a level of attention too far, and I'm sure many in the marketing teams in this room really don't want their CEOs doing that. But, I, but what it really showed for matches was that that level of attention, that level of striving for perfection was critical in every customer interaction. It was what it signaled rather than the act itself. Another example, Huel we talked to earlier. Huel have been on an amazing journey, founded in 2015, now with revenues of over 100 million pounds. And a few years ago, their founder, um, was talking to the drum and describes the way they approach the world as advertising gets the ball rolling, but our focus is on making customers happy. If they're happy, they'll come back and tell their friends about us. I mean, it just doesn't get much simpler than that as a statement, but it is so on the money. And what I love was the, the next paragraph in this article was effectively saying, and that's why we've grown 185% every year for the last four years. This way of thinking drives phenomenal, phenomenal growth. 
This is a runaway success story which baked advocacy in from day one. And then another brand that is close to my heart, a business that we've worked with since the very early days of Mention Me, since their very early days. And it was really clear, even in the early days, that Bloom and Wild was a business that really cared passionately about their customers. And when you speak to Aaron Gelbard, the founder, he describes it as, we always put the customer first because it's the right thing to do. And we know it's the right thing to do because you can always, almost always see it in the numbers. Aaron is a very data-driven guy. Bloom and Wild is a very data-driven company. Putting customer love first doesn't mean you have to just hope and pray. You can do the right thing and then make sure it works. And I was chatting to Aaron last week, and he shared a phenomenal example of this, where Bloom and Wild offered proactive customer service. Proactive customer service. What that means is they tested proactively offering customers credit if they suspected, or if the team suspected through tracking and data, that a customer might have an issue with the flowers. That's, no, that's amazing. They're offering credit without being told that there's a problem. And doing that, um, doing that because it was the right thing to do, but also doing that and seeing whether it had the impact. And the result of that test was that it increased LTV by 50 to 100% versus not offering any proactive resolution. And it increased LTV two to four times compared to a reactive resolution after a customer complains. There is no greater proof of how doing the right thing by your customers, even if it means risking giving them credit on account, uh, results in a true upside for the business. And I think that example also talks to the fact that we can now do this on a customer level. One of the luxuries online is how much data we have. A decade ago, we would have had to result to broad brush surveys, but now we can understand each customer and how what we do impacts them. So now we should know where a customer is in their journey with us, both in terms of what they've done and what they are likely to do. And that is where we're taking Mention Me. We want to be the place where you can understand whether you are succeeding in driving customer love and advocacy. Later this year, we'll be adding earned growth to the platform so that you can see your own earned growth scores. We will help you to understand who your most valuable customers really are. And we're using machine learning and propensity modeling to understand where customers are in their advocacy journey and what you, need to, and what you should show them next. And Roy and Anka, who are, who are following me, will unveil a lot more detail around that, so I won't steal their thunder. But the big picture is that we want to be your long-term partner as you solve for advocacy, not only driving referrals, but helping you understand who your most valuable customers are and how to drive higher earned growth. And when you take this approach, it turns marketing on its head. It fundamentally puts the power back in the hands of your customers. And that's what they want. They want to be in the driving seat. They want to be discovering brands on their own terms. The best possible way for a customer to find you is by a referral. There is a wonderfully warm feeling that someone has when you follow a recommendation and end up buying on a brand and having a positive experience. And there is a wonderfully warm feeling when you make that recommendation and your friend follows it and is grateful for you making that recommendation in the first place. The halo effect of this is huge. It not only drives cold, hard numbers, it drives a positive lived experience. And that is why our vision is to make all brands think advocacy, advocacy first. Some of you have already started, and we have the privilege of working at business, many businesses who take this mindset. 
but there is still so much more to do. And for those of you who are yet to really truly adopt this mindset, there's a huge opportunity ahead of you. Together, we can better understand where you are today, get the referrals going and identify who your most valuable customers are and what the opportunities are to increase customer love and advocacy. Customer love and the warm glow that customers feel about your brand is ultimately what leads to the numbers that you crave and that will let you win in your space. So we've all been through a hell of a last few years. And in that time, the world has changed a lot. In marketing, the status quo is changing. It's no longer sustainable. You can no longer rely on the core acquisition channels that we were before COVID. It is time to solve for customer love and advocacy. And with that as your North Star, and with Earned Growth and ELTV as the compasses, and mention these tools, intelligence, and support, you can navigate these uncertain times and come out of these challenging times as a winner of the next decade. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this Advocacy Engineered presentation. To find out more about Mention Me and how our advocacy-first approach could drive growth for your business, visit mention-me.com.